So with the camera on, uh, am I on? All right, so thank you for joining us. If you're online tonight, a couple announcements. We have a trip coming up to Monmouth, November 12th through the 17th. So everybody's welcome and wanted to see Ray Blowers. If you want to get in on that trip, uh, it's uh, still forming. So we don't have a sign-up per se online, so you'll have to get a hold of Ray. You can email the office or hit contact hbfcast.org for more information. We'll get you directed and connected. November 27th through December 5th is the Oaxaca, Mexico trip, and they still are taking folks for that. So if you want to go, get your passport now if you don't have it. If you have your passport, man, just uh, save up a little money. I think they need it's about $1,500. I don't quite know the cost, but see Mitch Newland for that trip. <laughs> and I think uh, you'll be able to go. Also, Steve Fleshman is forming a trip for the Dominican Republic in uh, 2023. Uh, so uh, if you want to jump on that trip, it's not too early to get a hold of Steve Fleshman and let him know, and he can start getting you oriented on what you need to do to start preparing for that. Also, um, just mention that our men's conference is coming up um, uh, November 4th and 5th. And we're, this year's at a new place, so it's a, at a new camp up in Excelsior. It's going to be all the linens provided, meals provided. It's all we actually got to do is show up and hear let God's word minister to us. So I'm looking forward to that. We do need 35 men to sign up. Uh, so I, I need 35 men to sign up. The Lord needs 35 men. I mean, th- we have more than 35 men in our church, so we need 35 men uh, to sort of break even is what I'm saying. So please sign up for that and attend that. Or if you just want to underwrite it, that's fine too. But uh, um, but anyway, uh, I'd really like to have the men. I want the men more than the, the finances to underwrite it. So um, it'd be better to have 50 men or 100 men. So I'm going to invite some other sister churches as well, and uh, we'll see what God God does. We, we've worked hard to try to get this camp organized and off the ground, and we've run into this and that. So I'm trusting that this week of November the 4th and the 5th is what God would have for us. Also, the harvest party's coming up around the corner and um, you can see Chris and Lauren, are you guys going to have stuff out in the foyer for how you want to handle that, or how how are we going to organize for that? I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay, great. So if you're here in the building or online, Chris and Lauren will be here Sunday. There's already sign-ups, uh, you know, opportunities in the foyer, so make sure you hit the foyer, sign up for a game or uh, some way to participate, and also tell everybody. You see, so you can go to our website, there's an event, you can share that link, you can go to Facebook and share that link at our, at our Facebook page, um, uh, or uh, if you have the church app, right, you, it'll, you, got, you can get it there, just go to, the, it's literally called church app, put Heartland Baptist Fellowship in it. And you get everything there for Heartlands. It's basically a condensed version of our website. So you get sermons, you get all the uh, all the events, all the apps that you need to apply for stuff. So it's all there, and so you can share those links out to people so that they so they know about it, invite them, join them here. It'll be a great time. So um, that's a great easy outreach, uh, and uh, it'll be good. We'll we'll have some testimonies and different things as well as a lot of fun and games on our website. Underneath the image, there's all the, you know, the stuff that'll be going on, the bounce house, this, that, and the other, and all that action. So uh, we're looking forward to Harvest Party coming up on the 22nd, I believe. It's not on here, is it? It's 22nd of of, uh, October. So, all right. That's my announcement reel. I'm done with that. I'm going to pick up my last question from last time I was here, which we've all slept since then. So what was that? 
and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little deeper into that, and then uh, um, I don't know, Angela, did you still have your question on the table, or is it off the table? No, well, I'll take a question, yeah, but I, you had one. I think you've already got answered, so you answered yourself. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, and uh, just kind of refresh. Let me do this. Uh, who remembers what the question on the table was? Nobody. Okay, so that's cool. Well, let me refresh you. That way, if I repeat myself, you will not remember that, so that's good, too. <clears throat> so we had a question, does the, does the, does the world... Uh, have to hear the gospel or the Bible translated or does the and and or does the Bible have to be translated into every tongue before the Lord Jesus Christ returns okay <clears throat> and that's a that is a great question and and I took a lot of time with it because this is a doctrine that uh, is prevalent uh, among among some Baptists even that you have to that everyone has to hear the gospel before Jesus returns um, now, the short answer is that's not accurate. Um, that's, that's in part why we really need to be diligent about getting the gospel where it needs to go. When we say on time, it's because once the, once the church goes out, it's going to be exceedingly uh, difficult to be saved. And salvation is no longer by grace through faith uh, alone in Jesus Christ. It's by grace through faith, for sure. But also, you've got to endure to the end. I mean, if you don't, if you take the mark of the beast... In the coming tribulation, you're done. Your your goose is cooked. Uh, some would say, "Well, yeah, there's also more grace, and if you you can get your arm cut off or get your eye plucked out, okay. If that's the case, I'm not saying that that's not the. I wouldn't take any chances, you know. Uh, no need to do that. So I want to just pick up where we left off because I didn't fully last time we were here. I kind of was part A. Part A of that question is I, I took on is I actually looked at the text. Uh, let me just ask anybody remember the text that I went to where people would 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 actually come up with this thought that we're perhaps, and it's a legitimate thought if you don't rightly divide the word or you don't know how. Some people don't know how, so I don't, I'm not saying that like uh, with scorn. That's one of the things people that do rightly divide the word have to be careful with is not to be arrogant, by the way, because I wouldn't know how to rightly divide the word if someone wouldn't have taught me, right? So there's some really good people out there um, that that may not have, that don't have the right doctrine because they simply haven't been taught. They haven't been in churches that actually steward the, 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 the principles of teaching and making disciples and teaching people in the Word. So they're good folks. So if you just let me refresh you quick. And I'm not going to take a lot of time, but we, we, we spent a lot of time in Matthew 24. And really this is probably good to rehearse this because uh, it, it, repetition is the price of learning. I'm not going to take a lot of time with it. Um, but Matthew 24 and verse 14 in particular deals with the gospel of the kingdom that shall be preached uh, in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And so we took a lot of time, and I'm not going to rehearse all the details for time's sake, uh, but the, the, what's the first, one of the first principles of Bible study? Let me just ask you that. Context, context thank you. Right? So context really solves this. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, you, all you have to do, again, is just in, by way of remembrance, is look in the beginning of the text, verse chapter 24 and verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See not all these things. Verily I say unto you, There shall not one uh, be left here, one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Uh, and, of course, he's talking, he's, that's fulfillment of Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 8, dealing with 
um, Titus in 70 AD. Its literal fulfillment uh, was in 70 AD. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, which is a direct cross-reference to Ezekiel or Zechariah chapter 14, where he splits the Mount of Olives. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples come unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall the sign uh, shall be, the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? <clears throat> okay, so um, last time we dealt with this, we talked about the end of the world and the end uh, here in verse 3. And verse 14 also says, And when shall the end come? And that is not dealing with the rapture, right? That is not dealing with the rapture. What, what is that dealing with? Yeah, it's dealing with the in the end times, in, in essence, the second coming, the last, the day of the Lord, which is a literal day, um, where he comes back, Revelation 19, and establishes throne, and then a, a millennial day, and then as we read through Revelation chapter 20, 21, right, then we see the millennium uh, come in, He's uh, Satan is judged, his, and uh, death and hell are cast in the lake of fire, and then we go into eternity future, new heaven, new earth. Okay, so that is what is being discussed. Okay, I think I covered that thoroughly. If you're like, what? I missed that. Okay, go back, not last week, but the week before. Or actually, not last week, not the week before, because that was Bible conference. So go back another week, like the 7th, I think, of September. And I addressed all of that in a lot more detail. Um, and so I'm not going to rehearse all that. But I want to get to the other side of that question, uh, because... Uh, that is a, that is a thought that you have to get the gospel to all the world, and it's based off of these verses. Now, should we get the gospel to all the world? Yeah, we should. But the question isn't should we get the gospel to, to the everybody in the world, every country, every tongue, every nation, every tribe. Certainly, we should. That is what we should do, and um, that is actually. And I mentioned this last week that the the failure of the church is the rapture. That's about where I, I, I kind of left off. I kind of summarized um, that the rapture is a judgment as much as it's a blessed hope. It's a blessed hope for all of us that run the ball into the end zone faithfully, you know? And I, that, you're like, what are you doing? Well, for you, those of you who play football, that's you take the handoff. <laughs> and so if you don't play football, you're like, what is that? Some secret... It's a Illuminati sign. No, just kidding. So uh, it's you take the handoff, you know, and you want to run. You want to hold fast to the faithful word as you've been taught, because Laodicea is is though though it is lukewarm and spewed out of God's mouth or the angel's mouth. It is. Um, it's also um, has overcomers to him that overcometh. So you can overcome in Laodicea, and so we pray that that that. You know, it's going to, what that really means is it's going to take an individual effort. It's a time of individualism, rights of the people, but you're going to have to individually exert, you know, you're going to have to apply yourself uh, to not be caught up in this age, you know. And so, okay, you're not going to be able to go along to get along, ultimately. So just figure that out. The sooner you figure that out, the better. You're going to have to, if you follow Christ, eventually you're going to be at odds with the culture. Uh, and people are going to think, you know, you're weird. Because you're not going along with them. All right, so I didn't get too far into that, but so the rapture of the church, and that is part of this question, because, and that's really what I want to address tonight, is, okay then, right? If, if Brian, if in the context, and this is the, the verses I gave you, Matthew uh, chapter 
the question as it came in didn't have a particular passage. It was a principle because it was, it was taught. And one of our members heard this and it, was a, it had that question because it didn't quite ring true with what they learned in D2, you know. And, uh, and they're like, that doesn't seem like what we're teaching here. So uh, Matthew 24, uh, Mark 13 um, are the two primary passages where folks would, would teach that. Luke chapter 21, I think as well, would also address it. And in all, every single passage you're going to have the same exact opportunity to put it in context, and you will see that, number one, the church isn't in effect at that time. Jesus is talking to his Jewish disciples. They're asking about the sign of his coming. Jesus requires sign. Greeks seek after wisdom, 1 Corinthians one twenty two, And so all of that is telling us and letting us know that it is dealing with what God's going to do to fulfill Daniel's 70th week. Okay, so I probably lost a few people right now. So let me try to slow roll this thing down and kind of get back into this to where we can kind of kind of wrap up this question and we'll move on to the next one. Um, <clears throat> so um, we were dealing with uh, the judgment of the church at the di- where I left off was the judgment of the church at that dispensation. Uh, but but w- when does the rapture happen, right? Because we don't know the day of the hour and the rapture is imminent. There's some that like to tie the rapture of the church. Now, there's raptures in the, in the tribulation, too, so you've got to be careful. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of potholes that you can trip over when you start getting into prophecy. And so, um, and you've got to be careful. One of those potholes is uh, many like to, try to tie the rapture of the church to the feast cycle and the trumpets in the Old Testament. One of the, good, one of the, one of the reasons you want to understand the feast cycle in the Old Testament is because it is a very important. There is a seven-year cycle that Israel operates on, and annually it works. Its agricultural cycle works on a lunar calendar, not a not a solar calendar. So the Gregorian calendar that we work off of it works off the sun, right? Three hundred sixty-five days, and and it's all about the sun. Well, the Jews work off the moon. That's why from the beginning, in the beginning, right? It's it's not the morning and the evening. It's the evening and the morning were the first day, although, and if you notice in the Old Testament. So everything is a, it's a, it's a evening, it's a lunar cycle, evening in the morning. And so, uh, and they don't, they didn't work off of 365 days. How many days did the, the Jews work off of? Right, 360, 360. Perfect sphere, right? We know 360 degrees. So at any rate, so the Jews were working off a lunar calendar, and they have, and God gave them these feast cycles, which worked off the lunar calendar. Uh, as well, the, the, and the moon cycle. All right, so um, there's a Feast of Trumpets in the fall uh, at harvest time, and uh, there is a lot of imagery there that just, it's almost like the rapture as far as the, as the trumpet sounds and all of that. And there's nothing, again, there's a lot to be learned there because the Lord will come back at the end of the tribulation, and he will blow trumpets then too. And he will call his people up. And there's a harvest with sickles that go in and harvest the earth in the book of Revelation. So, I mean, there's, there's the, the understanding that's important. But the Jews work off of that. If the church, the church hears a trumpet as well. Um, if you go to, let's just quickly, this, I'm just, this is in my notes here. But go to, go to, let's just look at the rapture real quick in the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It, it's not hard to understand. Um, it's harder to believe than to understand that when he comes back, it says in uh, verse 22 of chapter 15, and it's a resurrection chapter, it says, um, 
Well, let's just back up to verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits, remember that, of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, which is the subject of chapter 15. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Um, and notice there's no comma, Christ the firstfruits. I believe the Christ and the firstfruits go together. Um, afterward, they that are Christ's, his possession at his coming, then cometh the end. Now that's pretty broad. Christ at his coming, that could include the rapture of the church and the second comings. That's the, the com- just like the day of the Lord is broad. It starts at the rapture, but it goes really all the way to the end of the millennium if you look at it in its broadest sense. So, so uh, there's some overlap. Um, but the catching of the way, way of the church is uniquely different. It's called the, the imminent return of Christ for the church is, is laid out here. It says, then come at the end. There's the end, verse 24, that we were just talking about in Matthew 24. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God <coughs> and even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power, well, now we're at the end of the millennium. And just to make it clear, um, when it comes to the coming of Christ, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, um, when you talk about the second coming, it's like the first coming. Did Jesus Christ come, and it depends how you date it, 1 B.C.? Was that the first coming of Christ at his birth? Not the date, but his birth. Did he come at his birth when he was born? Well, certainly. He came to this earth. But he also, 33 years later, it was still his first coming. So it's still the coming of Christ. You know, even at his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus was here on the earth uh, before his ascension. And so the, uh, the second coming is much like that as well. The catching away of the church is the start of it. But then there's seven years, uh, and then he literally comes back. Okay, that's the second coming. It, it spans about seven years. Not about, it's a seven-year period. It could actually be a little longer because there's, the, there's nothing in the Scripture that would prohibit the catching away of the church. There could even be some dead time before Daniel's 70th week kicks off um, or not. You know, I don't know how that will work out, but it's possible. Whoa. So, uh, so that time is the second coming. And then the day of the Lord is a literal day. When Jesus returns, splits the Mount of Olives, Zechariah chapter 14. We talked about that about four weeks ago. And then um, it's also a millennial day. So having that kind of knowledge of how the timetable works out is important. Otherwise, you get tripped up. You're like, well, how's it the day of the Lord here, but then we're applying it to this millennial day? Because it's both. It's not one or the other. It is both. And that'll help you out. So... So as you look at as you look at this subject of of the rapture, um, he says in verse twenty six, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he that <clears throat> hath put all things under his feet, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he uh, when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. Um, I'm going to just fast forward here to. Um, Verse 36, he goes to an analogy. Um, well, 34, he says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God, which is directly related to this subject that we're talking about. You know, he's saying live a holy life because some people don't know Jesus. Right? Our, our purpose for living a holy life isn't to earn salvation, right? We already have salvation. It's because there's others that don't. Our job is to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. And it certainly should go to all the world. 
but if we don't do what we're supposed to, there's going to be people that go into the coming uh, 70th week of Daniel or the tribulation era, uh, period, and uh, that's not good. And he says, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners, awake to righteousness, and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Again, getting back to the, the point of the, the rapture being a judgment. When we get caught up out of here and we haven't done everything we can do to get the gospel where it needs to go, that is a shame. Because we've got more opportunity than any other people uh, on the planet at this time to get the gospel where it needs to go. That doesn't mean everybody receives it, but at least we should be offering it. We should be getting it to them. But some men will say, how are, they, how are the dead raised up? So here's the guy in the back with the cute questions. How are, the, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Let's get technical. So Paul doesn't put up with that. He says, thou fool. You know, can you, you know just go out and look at the field, right? Thou, thou, thou that sowest is not quickened except it die. <clears throat> and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. So he's, he's basically saying, when, when you go out to, to plant, do you plant a stalk? When you, when you want to grow a tree, do you, just, do, you just, do you plant a full-grown tree? No, you put a seed in the ground. And it doesn't look anything like what's going to come out. A corn kernel dropped in the ground doesn't look like a stalk of corn, right? An apple seed dropped in the ground doesn't look like an apple tree. It's completely different. That's what Paul is, is saying here. He's like, you're a fool. Well, what body is it? What body and, you know, uh, he's, this is obviously information they should have understood. Uh, he says in verse 38, But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There's a, there, there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Oh, man, he's going somewhere here. And boy, how appropriate is this? I could go off on a whole other Bible study right now. But when it comes to the different types of flesh, right? So the flesh that you and I have is, is different than a fish. If we take these lungs and we just go jump out here in the pond and start swimming around and go underwater and try to breathe water, what's going to happen? We're going to choke up and die. Because God hasn't prepared this body like a fish to go underwater and breathe. So we have to come back up here uh, in, this, in this strata because we can't live in the, in the water like a fish. We can swim in the water, but we can't live there. Right? We, we have to have a capsule. We have to be protected. We can't breathe water like a fish. Why? Because we don't have the same body as a fish. And, he, and so he takes that analogy and he goes even, right, he says, we're not birds. We can't fly. Birds have a body that's fit to fly. So he's kind of getting us, he's kind of baby-stepping us forward all right, so he's saying the body that goes in the ground right now, this body here can't fly. It can't leap over walls. It can't be thrust through and, and live. But the Bible tells us that there, we're going to get a new body, right? So when the Bible says we're a new creature in Christ Jesus, not a new creation, a new creature, we are new creatures. We are a new creation, right? We're a new creature. Creation is what the new translations say, but it's a creature, Creature is a living organism, right? A creation isn't necessarily a living organism. We're a new creature. We're a completely new unit. So what, what happens here is all flesh isn't the same flesh, 
But he says in verse 40, there's celestial bodies, which are heavenly bodies, uh, and then there's terrestrial bodies, which are earthly bodies. So when you get raptured or resurrected, whichever, you know, it depends if you die or you're, if you're alive at the coming of the Lord to catch away the church, you get fitted with a new body. Uh, this body will be changed in an instant at the rapture. Boom. And it is an imminent return. There's no, it's not on the calendar like, oh, well, on the, on the, on the Feast of Trumpets on the first day, let's wait for, let's start jumping because it's coming. We don't, it, it could be right now. There is nothing hindering the, the catching away of the church. And by the way, this is a side note, if you're going to tie, and you should, it's okay to tie the trumps to the rapture, but if you do, go back in numbers and look at the silver trumps. Now that's not a trump. <laughs> so uh, that's like a kazoo. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it'll be really awesome because there, there are trumps in the Old Testament that are used that are silver. Those trumps, what are those trumps for? Does anybody know? Yeah, those trumps direct the troops into battle. And if you look closely at the, what the church does, we get caught up and we return in battle formation. Right? God is, when he removes us, uh, guess what? We're actually going to, we're going to get judged. We're going to go to the ju- we're going to get married. And then we're going to come back and join him in the battle. So those trumps are direct. He's really, it's a troop movement. Because we're already dead in Christ as it stands. We're, we're to reckon ourselves in, dead indeed under Christ. So when he comes and catches us away, man, he's going to fit us with a celestial body. Right now we have a terrestrial body. For our brothers and sisters that die, right, we put their body in the ground. And it comes up, when it comes up at the resurrection, it's going to be completely different. What goes in the ground is nothing like what's going to come out. And so it's going to be an incredible thing. It's a blessing. Praise God. And so, uh, and he says that, there's the glory of the sun, verse 41. So what kind of difference is there? He says, well, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. Not every, by the way, not every star has the same lumens, does it? Some are so faint you can barely see them, other stars are pretty bright. So what's going to happen to the judgment seat of Christ when we come out of that meeting? We'll know. Some of us will literally be dimwits, right? We'll be dim. I say like a 20-watt bulb, a 10-watt, right, whatever. And others will be, I mean, you'll be bright. It'll be very bright uh, because the light of Christ will shine through. You'll You'll be reflecting his glory, and it'll be incredible. And so the glory of, of one, there's different glories. There's a, the resurrection of the dead is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown in a natural body. It's raised in a spiritual body. Uh, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So now we see the natural body that's terrestrial, of course, uh, we're familiar with. The celestial body is a spiritual body. Uh, so, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. So the last Adam, not the second Adam, the last Adam, uh, he's a quickening spirit. After he resurrects, he's walking through walls, he's moving through time and space, he's, he's physical, he can eat food, he can walk with people on the road to Emmaus, and he can also shoot through the third, second heaven and get to the third heaven and be back 45 minutes later. He can walk in. He can just appear in the middle of a upper room. I mean, 
he can ascend in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 in the clouds, which is the way uh, he will come back at the second coming. All of those things uh, are attributed to him and us. So how be it <clears throat> that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. Verse 47, the first man is of the earth earthy, the second man is the Lord from heaven. So who is the last Adam? It is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are uh, they also that are earthy. As <clears throat> And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earth, earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. You will look like Christ. First uh, John chapter 3, 1 through 3. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Your flesh and your blood is no good. Uh, it's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit in, in corruption. So our flesh and our blood is corrupt. We're not going to modify it. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which we're not all going to die, but we shall all be changed. Right? Everybody's going to be changed uh, and have a glorified body that's born again, but not everybody's going to die. That's the mystery that's being revealed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because he fulfilled the law. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Again, stressing, before the catching away, before we are changed in an instant, we should be about the business of getting the gospel everywhere it needs to go. However, um, that does not mean that God has to wait for us to get it where it needs to go before the rapture comes. And I talked to you last time about the 144,000 Jewish male virgins, I think. They will get the gospel everywhere it needs to go, but it will be the gospel of the kingdom, which is uniquely different. And again, you go back in the tape and you can listen to that from four weeks ago. That is endure to the end to be saved, Matthew twenty four thirteen. So that is a different gospel, still good news, but it's a different dispensation. And last time we got together, I talked about the seven dispensations and went through how God dispenses his grace differently through time. Okay, so... I'm trying to catch us up to finish this off. So that leads us to really the last, uh, the other side of this coin. So Brian, how do you really know, other than what you just told me that about the rapture, uh, you know, not being necessary? Well, because we have a book called Romans, and Romans is our doctrinal thesis for the whole New Testament. I mean, if you really want to, you know, go and find the fine print on most doctrine, you're going to find it in Romans. It's a, it's like a dissertation on New Testament doctrine. And it actually, Romans 9 through 11 in particular, deals with how God's going to deal with Israel. So the church understands how, to, how, to, how these dispensations, among all the other passages, of course, that we collect. But it gives us a really good footprint for how, um, a framework perhaps is a better word, for how God's going to address the Gentiles that need to be saved. And this question of, well, you know, doesn't everybody need to hear the gospel? Or, or the other question that was posed is, well, you know, 
do we need to get the gospel to every nation before Jesus will come for the rapture? Is he waiting on us to get the gospel where it needs to go before the rapture? Uh, he's, he's waiting all right. He's hoping we do our job. Um, of course, God doesn't need us, but he wants us, right? So, uh, and he's also proving us, our sincerity. And, and so all of those things go into it. When a missions trip's offered at Heartland, or an opportunity to put Bibles together, or an opportunity to work with the children's ministry, an opportunity to serve the Lord Jesus and mowing the lawn, whatever it may be, um, that's all, that tries our heart. The gospel tries our heart. And all of those things we're doing to further the gospel, right? The, this building sits here. It's just It's going to burn up. This is going to burn away. It's not the building that matters. It is, it is ultimately the souls that get saved, discipled, sent, so other souls get saved, discipled, and sent. And that's ultimately why we're here. It is the mission of God. And so um, it's important that we, we kind of put ourselves in the context of the Bible and Bible history. So let me just quickly uh, just kind of touch on Romans chapter 10 real quick in verse 1. Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I'm not going to get into all the details of this chapter, but Israel doesn't want to get saved. Uh, in the book of Acts, we go through the history, and they rejected their Messiah in Jerusalem. They rejected Jesus in Judea. They rejected him in Samaria, and they rejected him in other most parts of the earth. So by the end of the book of Acts, Paul even says, you know what? I'm shaking the dust off my feet, and I'm going to the Gentiles. Going to the Gentiles. And that leads me to chapter 11. Um <clears throat> And the question of verse 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? Uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of doctrine today, uh, which comes from Calvin, which comes from Augustine, um, which comes from hell, comes from Zeus, but ultimately comes from actually human philosophy, that, that we are the Israel of God. We, we, are, we take on the promises. It's called replacement theology that the church replaces all those promises made to Abraham's seed um, in regard to the physical land-grant promises. Now, if you read through the New Testament uh, in the Gospels, Matthew, you're going to see a lot of promises about the kingdom of heaven. Um, and you're going to see uh, also in, in Luke, primarily, information about the kingdom of God. In the New Testament, once you get out of the four Gospels, in Paul's epistles, we're only dealing um, with the kingdom of God when it re, when it re, regarding the church and our inheritance, which is a spiritual kingdom. And you can learn about all that in D2, but it's really important because there's people that would say, well, uh, and Paul's answering this question, what's God going to do with Israel? I mean, uh, all bets are off. Now, in the first century, even in this century, does it benefit you to be a Jew? Is that going to help you go to heaven? No, ultimately it doesn't. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Greek. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is all men everywhere need to repent, to make it simple, right? Acts chapter 17. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. You're a new creature in Christ. So all men everywhere need to come to Christ and receive his, his sacrifice for sin because he's greater than the law. So the, the book of Hebrews is written just to, to, for two Hebrews to help them understand that Jesus Christ is greater than the law. He's better than the, the, the priesthood of Aaron. He's after the priesthood of Melchizedek. He's better than the Old Testament law. Why? Because he fulfilled the law. And it just goes through and makes one case after the next case after the next case of why Jesus is better. He's a better sacrifice than the, the, the blood of bulls and goats. 
He's a perfect sacrifice. All those things are laid out. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father is through him. And so in this, in Paul's preaching this gospel that it's by faith. You simply have to, you just have to receive the gospel and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not of works of righteousness that we've done. It's putting our faith in his finished work. He's done all the work necessary. We're saved by his faith, not ours. So we trust in what he's already done and he saves our soul. But we have some folks out there that would say, well, wait a minute. Um, Israel, you know, had these promises and they did and they had covenant promises and they do. And God will still fulfill them in a different dispensation. He will dispense his grace differently after the catching away of the church. And where he deals with us individually, right, he deals with them collectively. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus chapter 4, he calls Israel his son. In the book of 1 John, we are the sons of God. Paul calls Timothy his son, but we're all his, we're his sons. So collectively, they are called a son. Individually, we have that identity as a son. He's the firstborn among many brethren. So our identity is completely changed. We are a new creature in Christ. We, are, As we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, we are in his image, Christ in us. He is in us. We have been changed. So, so and in, in due time, that will be manifest. So when it comes to, to Romans chapter 11, and I'm going somewhere with this, so hang on. Um, he says, for, for I'm also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. He's like, hey, I'm a Jew as well. Uh, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not, what the Spirit saith of Elias, how that he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed my prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. Uh, but what saith the answer of God unto him? I have res- reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now this is where our election of grace, man, that gets our, our predestination friends all wrapped around the axle, and they say, okay, your salvation's predestined, and they go off on um, the Augustinian road of John Calvin. That's not what he, he's, he, who is, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, Ephesians, which is another passage that's all twisted out of context. Once you get saved, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we'll be like him. That's already set in motion. The day you got saved, eternity began, but you can't, it's not all evidently manifest, right? Because we haven't gotten out of this kernel of corn into that glorified body, but that day's coming. All right, so the clock's ticking. But as far as I'm concerned, March 25th, 1987, I, eternity began for me. So this is the only time in eternity I have the opportunity to walk around with this carcass. But someday, soon, I'll be out of this carcass. And then I don't have to worry about it anymore. But this is also a wonderful time to really try my heart because this carcass gives me fits every day, just like yours does. Right? So Israel, just like in the same concept, Israel as a nation, not as an individual Jew, but as a nation... Just like you as a New Testament Christian have eternal security, guess what? So does the nation of Israel. God promised, made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised them a city, a seat, and a kingdom would be, be in, and the 12 tribes would rule and reign. And that promise, those promises, are, they stand in spite of the fact that they rejected their Messiah. And so as a nation, they will be saved. And that's what Paul is talking about. And there's a remnant that's predestined. Uh, to be saved, right? And so, 
now, that doesn't mean Jews themselves will be saved or every Jew would be saved. Of course, that's not accurate. Uh, but but there are there is God is going to preserve Israel throughout history. Now, of course, we know in 70 A.D., which was prophesied by Jesus, the temple was torn down. Josephus says it was torn down to the ground. There was nothing left. And, what, and then they built a Roman citadel on it and went from there. Now, <clears throat> um, God has made promises to Israel, and he's going to fulfill his promises to Israel, even though for 2,000 years they've been dispersed until 1918. And in 1918, um, in the British Parliament, they voted, I believe it was by one vote, to grant the Palestinian property to the nation of Israel. It's called the Balfour Declaration. And of course, World War II commenced, or World War I commenced, uh, which was also what brought all that to pass, was the, the uh, in 1918, was the, uh, the World War I redistribution of property, the Ottoman Empire going out, the British Empire expanding, and, and then granting that land to Israel. But the Jews didn't go back. Of course, the rise of Germany, Kaiser Wilhelm and all that, and or not Kaiser Wilhelm, who's that guy that, that was a horrible, uh, uh, what's it, huh? Well, Hitler was horrible. No, the, the British fellow that came back and said, we made a great deal with Hitler, and then all hell broke. Huh? Yeah, Chamberlain, yeah. So he comes back to England and says, hey, man, this is going to be great. And then, like, Hitler's, like, on the move right after that and made, you know, made England look like idiot sticks. Um, and so after World War II, the Jews were finally ready to go back to the land. 1948, Israel, our president, Harry Truman, strikes out Palestine and, and writes in Israel. And Israel becomes a nation officially and formally. President Trump celebrated... Uh, I believe it was 70-year anniversary of that when he was in office, and moved the embassy of the United States to Jerusalem, recognizing that Jerusalem is the capital, which everybody knows, of Israel, not Tel Aviv, which is also another prophetic issue because ultimately the second coming, we know that it revolves around Jerusalem. It's not, just, it's not about Jesus coming back to Tel Aviv. It's about Jerusalem. And, and that is the rightful capital of the nation of Israel. Okay, so what happened there? And why am I bringing that up? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's a good question. You're asking good questions. So, um, so in, uh, in chapter 11, verse 7, it says, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which uh, he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. All right, the rest were blinded. According to as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that should not see and ears that should not hear unto this day. Now, literally in the first century, um, there were Jews like, like we know Jesus promised that the 12 apostles are going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. Even though they were New Testament Christians, they still had, they are kind of, they're not like me. They, they have a unique um, unction of God to function in both kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Uh, they, they, they get the double, they're double-breasted. Why? Because they are those Jews, right? They, they were Jews that, that, got, that got in. They believed in their Messiah. They followed their Messiah. They weren't the only ones, but I'm just using those as examples of some Christians, as we would call them, and they were and they are, uh, that also have a function in the kingdom of heaven in regard to administration. And really, we do too, because we are married to the king, right? So we will also function in administration as the bride of Christ as will those Jews. But those Jews have a specific role over the 12 tribes. That's why Peter was the apostle to the 
to the nation of Israel, to the circumcised, um, and Paul was to the uncircumcised. All right, moving on. That's another question that we can get into later. But um, he goes on to say, according to as it is written, verse 8, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. That's important because they're blind and they're deaf. We were just in Boston, and there's Hasidic Jews running around. They are clueless to the fact that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. They don't have a clue. They don't, they've missed it. Uh, they're, they're, they're dead, and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe it. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and trap and stumbling block and recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. God is saying, I bless the Gentile world with the gospel that, that the Apostle Paul was given to give to the Gentiles, right? The gospel of grace because of Israel stumbling. Right, Isaiah? They went back and they stumbled. A little here, a little there, right? And they fell back over the rock and tripped over the rock that they were promised. The foundation of their own salvation, they, they fell over and stumbled, and it broke them. And God used that to bring salvation to the world. And so uh, he says in verse 12, Now, if, they fall, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? There's coming a day, right, when they will be restored. For I speak to, to you Gentiles, that's us, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are of my flesh, those Hebrews he's speaking of, and might save some of them. Now when he says save some of them, he's talking about Romans 10, 9, and 10, just like you and I. They need to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, receive him in their heart and be saved. And not trust their, there's nothing wrong with being a Jew and, and, and understanding the the traditions of the Jews, he's saying, but you aren't going to get saved by just keeping the law. You got to be, you have to have that faith in the one who fulfilled the law. And that was the problem in the first century. And then again, verse 15, for if the casting away of them be the reconciliation of the world, what shall be the receiving of them of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches are broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and uh, with them partakest of, of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. He's saying, be careful with your anti-Semitism. Right? There was a time, um, it's now removed, I went and checked it out. There was a time when you went to the Holocaust Memorial in New York, or in Washington, D.C. You'd go down in the stairs, and uh, they've remodeled it since then. But you used to, you would go down in the 90s, and you'd go in the middle and they had this big thing on Jesus. Jesus was a Jew, right? One of the most famous Jews in the world. And he was crucified in Jerusalem. The Jews knew that. Whose fault, whose fault was it if you were in the Holocaust Memorial? Anyone take a guess? No. The, who? Nope. They didn't take responsibility. Not in their house. Romans. Yeah, the Romans. In, that, in the Holocaust Memorial, it's the Romans. Those, those dogs, those Romans, man, they killed that Jew. They weren't taking responsibility. They, they aren't going to pick up the Gospels where it says, crucify him, crucify him, right? But we know what the Bible says. Now, ultimately, we're all there, right? I mean, to get saved, you have to understand your sin, but Jesus Christ on the cross. We get it. 
But also the Jews, Paul's saying it here, right? They, they crucified their Lord as a nation. God had a plan for them, and it was theirs. And they, lost, they dropped the ball. They fumbled that ball. That ball was Jesus, their Messiah, as a nation. Why? Well, they didn't believe. We've been grafted in. Well, verse 20, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward, the God, the, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou, art, thou shalt be cut off. Now he's speaking to the Gentiles in verse 13. If you're born again, you're in the church. There is a church uh, that's called a church that has been anti-Semitic from the get-go and have persecuted the Jews, saying, you killed our Messiah. But the problem is, uh, they've never received the Messiah. They say that they don't follow the Messiah that they, they use to justify killing the Jews because they don't really care about the Messiah. They care about the Jews' property. Does that make sense? They went about to establish their own kingdom, saying, well, you know what? We are the Israel of God. Let's take the Jews' property. And to justify killing Jews, they say, well... You know, they killed Jesus. They deserve to die. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul says God has a special plan for the Jews, and be careful. Don't get high-minded. And don't be claiming their promises, Brian. Right? This church, we, we don't get a physical kingdom. This, we, we're about souls of men, not about property. We don't have a diocese where we say, oh, well, Heartland owns this section of Harrisonville. We own this section of Cass County. We don't know nothing, but we just own Jesus. I mean, obviously, we have this property for now, but Jesus is going to come back and take us out, and they'll do whatever they want with it. Church will probably keep going. Who knows? But at the end of the day, uh, we don't own. We don't know. It's not about property distribution. It's not about kingdoms. It's not about um, you know having a diocese and, and, and taking over everybody's governments until the second coming when we come with Jesus and he takes everyone's. We take over the whole earth and the government. That's when we worry about that. But right now, we're ambassadors. And we come and we offer terms of peace. That's what we do as the church, as born-again Christians. So, uh, he says uh, in verse 23, And they also that abide not still in unbelief shall be grafted in, but or graft in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut, uh, cut out of an olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert graft contrary to nature, into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? He's like, if I can take Gentiles and bring them into the redemption story, like Ruth, which is what the church is a picture of, how much more is it going to be to restore my people Israel who naturally understood the law and had been committed the law and the prophets? He says in verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. Here's another mystery. We saw one in 1 Corinthians 15. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel. When? Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, just to be clear, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the fathers' sakes. And the fathers there means the Old Testament fathers. 
The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. For as, ye are, for as ye in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now, uh, not, now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Getting us to Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. Right, so, for, so for this dispensation, it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's coming a time, and this gets back to the question at hand. <clears throat> and I'll just kind of do a timeline here. So we have the, uh, I'll just make a cloud. And, and Acts, I'm just going to put this in Acts 1.8. Jesus ascends up in the cloud. And... Uh, the disciples are looking up at him, right? And uh, they're wondering what, what in the world. And he says, I'll come back in like manner. There's two witnesses standing there. And they're, uh, they're saying, hey, what are you guys doing? Go get to work. <laughs> I mean, he, he's going to come back later. You need to get to work. And at that time, a timeline begins. In Acts chapter 6, the Jews reject Stephen in Jerusalem, the leadership. That's when Paul consents to the death of of Stephen in Acts chapter 6. And now Acts is a transitionary book, so it's not like it just happens instantly and everybody knows what's going on. But that really begins, this is the re, they reject Jesus in Jerusalem. Okay, Israel. Israel rejects Jesus. Let me just put that real small up here. Now this is formally, as a nation, they reject Jesus in Acts chapter 6. <clears throat> And uh, Stephen gets stoned. Paul at the time is representing. He's one of the, the leaders. Uh, he, was under, he was taught by Gamaliel. He was a leader of the Hebrews. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a lawyer. He was doing everything by the book. He was given charge to go out and find these errant uh, Jews that believed that Jesus was the Messiah and haul them in for blasphemy. And he was executing them, persecuting them, men and women. Um, and under his authority, he was trying to stamp out that movement of the church. He was not as gracious as Gamaliel, who said a few chapters earlier, hey, if this, cool, cool your jets, man. If this be of God, there's nothing we can do to stop it. You, you know, well, his disciple Paul comes out and says, hey, let's kill all these things. But as, as he's going to the road, down the road to Damascus, right, he's going into Damascus, Syria. God says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, Paul, Paul's following the, the church out as it's spreading. God's spreading it out. He's going to chase it down and kill it. He thinks, but on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus. And so in Acts chapter 9, the Hebrew that's slaying Jews becomes the Hebrew that's saving every, you know, the, he's got a, a destination with kings. I believe it's verse 11 or verse 15 of Acts chapter 9 with kings, uh, with the Gentiles, and with the nation of Israel. And he's a unique po- apostle we see there in, in Romans 11. He becomes the apostle to the, the Gentiles. Specifically, and from him comes the church. By the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, he shook he shook his the dust off his feet with Israel. He has ministered to Israel in Jerusalem. He has ministered to Israel in Judea. He has ministered the gospel in uh, uh, Samaria, and he has ministered the gospel in the uttermost parts of the earth in the synagogues. And they have either rejected or accepted. And by the end of the the book of Acts as a whole, the Jews have rejected their Messiah. And he says that's fine. 
And for the next almost 2,000 years, not quite yet, let's just bring this up to 2022, right? The church is right up here, and we're just waiting for the, the trumpet to blow, right? The last trump. And, uh, and so we'll probably hear three trumps. And that last trump, the dead in Christ will rise, and we'll be caught up together with the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. This is an imminent return. It doesn't necessarily line up with the feast cycles. It could, but it doesn't have to. And God will catch us up. And all of a sudden, we'll be caught up with Jesus in the clouds. Oh, that's not what I need to do. Anyway, that person's messed up. They got a cape on. And, uh, and so Jesus comes for his church. And this is a terrible drawing, but you guys get the point. So Jesus comes for the church, and we're caught up. At that point, when we go up, the tribulation begins. And the midpoint is the great tribulation, dealing with the, the, uh, abomination of separ- uh, the abomination of desolations. And the first three and a half years uh, of that time, at the, of Daniel's 70th week, which we know is seven years, um, is when God is going to allow the Antichrist to rise politically here. He'll be the religious leader in the midpoint. And then he'll be judged here at, at the uh, second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where Israel will repent. So in Romans chapter 11, where it talks about Israel, there's a remnant that will be saved. <clears throat> God has preserved this nation. Now, I want, I want to train your, your attention to the phrase, um, fullness of the Gentiles. There's two phrases that people sometimes get confused. There's the fullness of the Gentiles, and then there's the times of the Gentiles. And you find both of these in Romans. <clears throat> so back, let's go back to Romans and look at this real quick. And so um, in verse 25... Paul says, I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. So he's talking about a mystery. The mysteries, there's seven mysteries given to the church. This is, is one. We've talked about two tonight. One is the rapture, and one is this, uh, which is dealing with Israel and their blindness. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't, I don't want you, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel when? Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. All right? So this is this is dealing with Romans eleven twenty five. The fullness of the Gentiles. That's when the catching away of the church comes. There's a there's a season from um, you know I'll just start in Acts one eight, but ultimately it doesn't really get rolled until the Apostle Paul, uh, when the Gentile church is is born and formed, right? And God knows in His providence how many Gentiles will get saved. Um, and uh, or he's got a clock or whatever it's in his own timing, but he will at some point um, the, the the church age will come to a conclusion, and he will he'll blow the trumpet, and we will get called out. Now we as the earth is going through judgment here to restore Israel, right through much tribulation, and the gospel as we talked about in Matthew twenty four will be preached to the whole world through one hundred forty four thousand Jewish male virgins. All of that that we talked about a few weeks ago will occur. Why? So that Israel could be restored. Um, and by the way, 
the world's not going to receive their gospel either. It comes down to a showdown. Jesus Christ will return to the earth physically. Zechariah chapter 14 will be accomplished. The Mount of Olives where he was sitting in Matthew 24. Uh, he's going to be standing on it and it will, it will part in the middle and form a huge valley. And when he comes back, it's not just hyperbole. Uh, the topography of the earth changes. And people burst like grapes and blood is bridled deep. I mean, it's unbelievable, the scene. And also the hard attitude of people that are willing to rage against Jesus Christ and his little, literal return and every eye will see him. I mean, it will be an intense rebellion. Um, and so, but the good news, there is good news in all of this tribulation. That's that the Jews get saved as a nation. And so, as a nation, uh, they will come out on the other side and rule and reign on this earth uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ as their king. And then the prophecies of Ezekiel will be manifest where he will literally have a throne uh, and a temple and the water will come out, and the waters will heal the nations, and all of that will be transpiring in the coming 1,000-year millennium, which is also a day. So he comes back in a literal day and takes over the earth and his kingdom, and then he establishes his nation, Israel, as the administrators on this earth. Uh, and, we, of course, we serve with him as well because we're the bride of Christ. We are the bride, so we, we are like... Uh, Ruth, in the book of Ruth, we're like the Gentile bride. And Israel, though, is like Esther. There's coming a time where the Gentiles, so back here in 1918, the writing was on the wall with the Belfar Declaration. And then in 1948, and that generation shall not pass until these things, I mean, we're coming right up to the end of the wire right now. If a generation 70 years, eh, you can give them 80 I mean, guys, it's, it's, it's been there. You say, well, maybe it was the 1968. We keep sliding it down, whichever we want to do, but uh, when, they, when they took over the, the land. But it's, it's coming soon. That generation shall not pass till the coming of the Lord. So uh, you, you take seven years off, and then boom. But again, this is the coming for the church. He comes back for, to re- restore his kingdom on the earth and depose the Antichrist, fulfill the book of Revelation, and then we go into the millennium, thousand-year reign of Christ. And then after that, death and hell are delivered up at the end and thrown into the lake of fire. And we go forward with eternity future. And so um, there's the fullness of the Gentiles, and there's the times of the Gentiles. Now, the times of the Gentiles go all the way back to 606 B.C. Uh, you could even take it back a little further with Sennacherib um, in Assyrian kingdom to 7, 700 B.C. But the, the times of the Gentiles, I, I counted 606 B.C. because that's when Israel finally went into captivity with Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. And ultimately, those images that are given to Daniel uh, take you all the way back from 1948. From here all the way back, I'm going to go off of my chart before Christ was even born, to 606 B.C. And we know that God, that's when God took Israel. Um, now, all geopolitical activity is, is always operating around Israel, even if the Gentiles don't know it. But God says, look, he gives this image, and he says, hey, I'm going to work through you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're gonna, that's Babylon. But your kingdom's not going to last. And then I'm going to work through another kingdom called Persia. 
and my writing is terrible here, but you get the point. And then after Persia goes down, I'm going to go through another kingdom called Greece. This guy named Alexander the Great is going to dominate. But he's not going to last because there's another kingdom, and it's called Rome. And this thing's going to be broke up eventually, but it's going to last all the way to Revelation chapter 17 and, and uh, 18 when it's finally destroyed. All right, so <clears throat> from this group comes the bride of Antichrist. Um, and um, <clears throat> the times of the Gentiles, whether the Gentiles know it or not, their time is short. So whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Vladimir Putin, uh, whichever, pick your Gentile ruler right now who wants, or uh, Xi Jinping or whatever the guy's name is in, in uh, China. You know, we're getting back to the 70s, right? We got the big guys that running the nuclear weapons. And so we got that all laid out. So all these Gentile leaders really think they have influence. If you, if you, you can even look at like, um, you know, something that's a little less uh, controversial and, and uh, tabloid like um, Stratford Report. And you can watch all the geopolitical activity you want. And, and, and very little of it is going to base itself around Jerusalem and what's going on there and Israel. But i got news for you. All the geopolitical activity throughout all of Gentile history and the times of the Gentiles is all pointing to what happened with God restoring them as a nation physically. They're not spiritually born again. As a nation, they won't, they won't be right with God until God redeems them at the end of the tribulation. But God is forming them, made them a nation, restored them. And that's never happened in history. Why? Because that's what God prophesied. I give, I give some of these guys a little grace, you know, maybe, maybe going, well, maybe Israel's done and God gave those promises to us. I could understand that if you lived in, you know, 1500 A.D. or something, and it may make sense to you. But, uh, man, after what God has done in the, in the 1900s, in the 20th century... How in the world do you not see that prophecy? Unbelievable. And is God, does God have to wait for the rapture or for us to preach the gospel to every nation before he takes us up? No. As a matter of fact, very clearly, and in, in twice we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, that knowing that, that, that there is salvation is, needs to get accomplished and that multitudes of people will be ushered into this time of tribulation and many of them will die. And, and when that sickle comes down, that's not a harvest like a catching away of the church harvest. That's a harvest of souls. Some of those people are going to die and bust hell wide open. And so are, we're motivated to preach the gospel to every nation because we have the good news. And this is the age of grace. And we, and there is a, we know that there's a time when the fullness of the Gentiles will be come in. And God knows when that is. And it's in his discretion. And he will blow the trump. And it could be any day. It doesn't have to work off the, off the trumpet, off the feast cycle of the nation of Israel. Uh, when he's ready to move his troops, he'll move his troops. And he will catch us up. And, uh, and what, is, what work is not accomplished with the gospel of, 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 that we preach, um, those folks will have to go into a Matthew twenty four thirteen gospel situation and endure to the end and be saved. They cannot take the mark of the beast, else they'll lose their soul. And so that is what motivates us. Uh, God's not sitting around waiting on the church. 
And so right now, Israel, what's happened here is just like when Esther in the Old Testament. Esther um, <clears throat> was, a, uh, was in a, a kingdom ruled by Hashuerus, a, gen, a Gentile. And all of a sudden, one day, his Gentile bride wasn't fulfilling his needs. Right? She embarrassed him before the, the court. And he says, away with Vashti. And then what happened? He brought in a, a Jewish bride. Just like Ruth pictures the church, right? A Gentile bride redeemed by a Jewish kinsman redeemer. She had no, she was the enemy of God, a Moabitess, right? There was no real reason that she should have been grafted in, let alone be the great-grandma of David who is, is going to get the throne, right? You can just see so many awesome pictures there of God's redemption and our inheritance. So just like we picture Ruth as the church, Israel, <clears throat> Israel pictures this transition from the Gentile rule to the Jewish rule, when you really when you get over here to the beginning of the millennium, there's a transition that happens, and just like um, <clears throat> evil Mordecai, um, or not Mordecai, he was a good guy. Who's the guy that wanted to kill him? Haman, like wicked Haman. Wicked Haman wanted to kill Esther, right? The Antichrist wants to kill. He wants to kill the Jews. That's what the whole tribulation is about, and take over the kingdom. But it ain't going to happen. Because there's faithful men like Mordecai, and God will have his faithful tribulation saints that make it through. Israel will be preserved, a remnant of Israel will be preserved, and then he will establish Israel once again. All 12 tribes, just like the Bible says, and they, and they will get their inheritance and their land grant, just like Ezekiel lays out, and he will rule and reign on this planet physically for a thousand years uh, over the nation of Israel. And then we go into the ages to come. All right, so that answers, I think that fully answers that question, I think. There's still more caveats we could get into, but sorry, it took me kind of two weeks to get through that. Any questions on all that? Does that make sense? Did I confuse anybody? Let me know if that helped solidify anything. Did it? Okay. Last time, that I, I had some really good feedback, too, so that's good. So, um, So be careful when you see the times of the Gentiles. That's dealing with the Gentile reign from 606 B.C., <clears throat> until really the rapture of the church. Yes, sir. Absolutely. It, uh, everything going on with Putin, I would say, has bearing on the times of the Gentiles. What'd they do? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to try to, they're already trying to kill the dollar. <clears throat> and so, yeah, so Russia goes to the, to the yen and they, they're going to, they're going to make an axis of evil, right? And, uh, America, we're in bad shape. And so, um, so we are, or whoever busts that pipeline open, that gas line, you know, so, okay, so we're in a situation where, you know, geopolitically, the Gentiles are scrapping <clears throat> because they all think that they, rule the world. And so certainly to answer your question, yes, I do think that what's going on with Ukraine and Putin, the USA, all of that is ultimately working to, uh, ultimately to an Ezekiel 38 situation. I, yeah, I actually even put that on Twitter this morning, you know, just kind of threw it out there. Could this have anything to do? Now, in time, I don't know what the timeline is, but certainly, <clears throat> you know, really when you go back to what Georgia, when George Bush was in and they took Georgia and then when they took Crimea, <clears throat> you know, these are incremental steps, and 
<coughs> excuse me, it doesn't mean that it happened, you know, you know, all prophecies fulfilled in one moment. But all of those steps, and, and I'm not saying necessarily that, that Putin is, uh, what, Magog? <coughs> but his office is, for sure, no doubt about it. And so if he kicks over dead, there'll be someone ten times as wicked to replace him, and it'll just keep on going. Uh, and um, and so <coughs> all that is definitely driving. Ultimately, what that's driving, all of this is driving to ultimately, will be a peacemaker that comes as we go up. There's a peacemaker that'll come in in Revelation chapter 6. He'll ride in on a white horse and be a political savior, but as soon as he gets in, there'll be war. <coughs> And then by the midpoint of the tribulation, he'll be a religious savior and claim that he's God and he has the ability to save the planet, which everybody's already talking about. <clears throat> and so, and he'll have signs and lying wonders and many people will follow him. Um, and then there'll be a lot of people who won't. <clears throat> and they'll be here, listen to 140, after Moses and Elijah or the two witnesses preach, <coughs> there will be many people that awake. There'll be 144,000 Jewish male virgins that will preach like the apostle Paul and uh, and a lot of people will follow uh, the Lord and die uh, as faithful martyrs, and um, and uh, and so uh, and others will have divine providence as they flee, and God will protect them supernaturally, and a remnant will endure to the end and be saved. <coughs> will come back literally, physically, and take over the planet because in within seven years. Uh, these dudes, these Gentile kings, will mess it up so bad uh, in cooperation with the Antichrist because they, he, you know, he turns his bride over to the Jews or over to the his uh, buddy, the kings of the earth, the destroyer. They'll have messed it up so bad. Jesus has to come back and take it over and fix it, <clears throat> which is kind of the long and short of the whole tribulation period. All right. So if you, if that causes any more questions, that's great. Mark them down. Bob is going to come back next week and and continue the series on. Uh, American history in re- in relation to the Bible. That's a great series, isn't it? So you want to come back and and get the balance of that. And uh, and in the meantime, if you got any more questions, I am going to start a new series. Um, but uh, <clears throat> we can do a, a few more weeks of QA as well. If you guys have any burning questions, or if anything we're talking about brings up more questions. So all right. Well, um, I hope this was edifying. And if nothing else, let me just conclude with this. <clears throat> we should preach the gospel uh, not to bring in the rapture, but to get people into the rapture, right? It's not, it's not about the rapture. Obviously, for us, I mean, God willing, it is a blessed hope, all right? That's what tied it. It's a blessed hope. We should look forward to the rapture, but we should be equally grieved about getting the gospel. There, as, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, not everybody knows the gospel. Right? It's not about us getting it. We're already saved. I mean, we're already set, even if we die. Right? There's nothing really that's going to stop me from resurrecting at this point. It's set. But there's a whole world out here that people are just lost and dying and going to hell. And, um, you know, even if they're hard-hearted, we at least need to offer the terms of peace uh, before the king comes back and squashes them like a grape. Uh, because once the catching away of the church comes, there is going to be... Uh, well, it tells us in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, they will not receive the love of the truth. The judgment for not receiving the love of the truth is finding yourself in this time of history. Right? If people won't receive the truth today when we're offering the, the gospel of grace, they aren't going to endure to the end and be saved. You can, you can, they've already, they're already done. Their goose is cooked. And so today is the day of salvation. In some respects, 
Um, you know, that's up on that's on them. But it should affect both our zeal to get the gospel out, but also our compassion for people, whether they receive it or not, knowing what they face if they don't receive it. We, it should create in us a patience um, to continue to be uh, patient with them as Jesus was with us until we receive the gospel. So anyway, good question. I'm glad I, I was able to take a couple of weeks and kind of look at it from both sides of that coin. All right, let's pray and we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity.